fellowship with God and with each other. So that's our topic this morning, and let's pray together before we start. Father, thank you for uh, your loving care for us. Father, thank you for the message of the gospel, and Lord, you who are light and life eternal, we pray that by your Spirit and in the name of Christ you would come, and that you would move amongst us, that you would speak to us and through us, and that, Father God, you would be glorified, for we ask it in your name. Amen. So, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you had cared nothing at all about that, do you? Uh, but it is Super Bowl Sunday. I will be watching the game, and I know who I'm cheering for, and they're not from New England. Oh, Noreen, Noreen, and I liked you, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's all right. Forgiveness is important in the Christian life, right, and grace, grace and mercy. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about doing a darkness and light metaphor, and you know who the darkness represents, right? So anyway, let's continue before I make any enemies here. So one of the, one of the best memories that we have, we have lots of great memories with our sons uh, when they were younger. One of the best memories that we have of our youngest son, David, is uh, his final game uh, of high school football, grade 12, final game, and this picture it's kind of fuzzy, uh, but um, you can maybe catch the smiles on these guys' faces. He's number 65, uh, the nose tackle for the Swift Current Colts. And uh, so this game, final game, playoffs in Medicine Hat uh, in October. I'm not sure the date of it, but uh, one of those prairie, was, wasn't really winter, but it felt like winter, where the snow is going parallel to the ground. It's not coming down. It's going like this right in our faces the whole time. And parents are huddled under blankets, sitting on metal uh, bleachers, freezing. And uh, our boys, you know, because our football program was very underfunded, had, uh, were wrapped up in sleeping bags and blankets. Their boys were, had really fancy quilted coats that fit over their pads and looked really sharp. And, uh, but the temperature had, you know, well, like, I'll tell you the story. I got down to the end of the game. Our team got up fair, by a fair amount in the first half, but then in the second half, they stopped scoring, and the other team just kept working their way closer and closer and closer. So in the final minute of the game, final seconds of the game, the other team uh, was uh, on, I don't know what yard line, but they were near the, the goalpost. They were going to kick a field goal, which would have won the game for them because they were only about a point or two behind. And so they lined up, and our, t our defense lined up, my, my son right in the middle as nose tackle, and uh, the, the kicker ran to kick the ball, and our team blocked it at the line, which had never happened. Uh, they blocked the, the kick, and they didn't score the points, and we won the game. So this is the shot of our, our boys coming off the field at the end of their game. Uh, for some of these guys, including our son, his last game of organ organized football in his life went out on a win. And you don't know how significant this is, knowing the history of the Swift Current Colts high school team. <laughs> They had uh, been humiliated game after game after game, year after year after year. They were always on the bottom of the heap, always. And this season, finally, they won a playoff game. It wasn't for the, the top spot. It was for the third place. But it's still, it could have been the Super Bowl for all they felt like this was, this was so significant. And so these guys, you know, they had persevered through the years of losing 
and being humiliated. And finally, they won a big game. And uh, it was like, you know, those band of brothers moments. You know, we're linked together. We'll be friends forever. And we've gone through the trenches and the battles of, of football, and we came out victorious. You know, there, there, there's something about that, right? Uh, if you've ever experienced that kind of experience with a team of people that where you, you work hard and you train hard and you finally have some success and you feel a sense of bond, something that you hold in common, these experiences that bind you together. It's kind of like fellowship, <laughs> to use a Christian term. Uh, it's this powerful, glorious, wonderful, beautiful thing that, that binds people together when they have a common cause, a common experience, and they share in those things. They bind us together. We belong. They give us a sense of purpose, and there's great strength there. And so hopefully whatever it is, uh, I mean, that was significant to these guys and great memories for us as well, uh, but hopefully it's something significant, that common cause, whatever it is that you pursue together with someone else, that it's significant. Author uh, Warren Worsby said, like a child eating cotton candy at the circus, many people who expect to bite into something real end up with a mouthful of nothing. They waste priceless years on empty substitutes for reality. And that's not what God wants for us. Cotton candy always looked good to me, but it always disappointed. You know, there's really not much to it. It's not really real. So the passage that we're looking at today is from 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And it talks about some things that we hold in common as Christians, the things that give meaning and purpose and direction and strength to us as we hold on to them. And even, uh, John says, joy comes from those things. And so the Christian word, as I've mentioned already, for things that you hold in common is that word fellowship. And John, in this little book, uh, First, First John, uh, gives us some tests, in a sense, of what genuine faith should look like. And the first one is in this passage, verses 1 to 10, chapter 1. Genuine and real faith is characterized by fellowship. And he writes the letter because he's concerned. He has a pastoral concern for his people because some of them have abandoned that fellowship. And they've abandoned it in a couple of ways. Uh, in one way, they've, they've just kind of walked away from it, from the relationships, from the community, from the common bond that they had with these people. They've kind of drifted away. And uh, some of them have... Uh, walked away or abandoned it in the sense that they have, uh, their lifestyle does not reflect uh, the, the, the experience that they claim to have. So we're going to look at four things uh, that, uh, back up a little bit, Irene, you've gotten ahead of me a little bit. We're talking about a real experience of God through Christ. That's the first thing that this passage talks about. And so that, those first three verses, we proclaim to you, the one who existed from the beginning, whom you we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. And so John, the Apostle John, and the other apostles and others who were there uh, with, with Christ in the flesh say, this, we have first-hand experience with Him. 
And it's amazing how quickly we drift as a church sometimes. And so even at that early stage of the church, there, there were people who were drifting away from their understanding and their knowledge of Christ. Some of those people that he was writing to would not likely have had firsthand uh, experience with Christ, the incarnate Christ. And so they had uh, begun to drift in their understanding of him. Later on in the book, it talks about people who uh, are liars, as he, John says in 1 John chapter 2, 22. Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, uh, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. And so he's saying, this, what I want to proclaim to you, what's important to me that you grasp and understand and that you have fellowship with me in is the fact that this one who is proclaimed is the eternal, the one who is from the beginning, the word of life, the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He was fully God and fully man. We had personal knowledge, personal experience with this Jesus. It wasn't secondhand. I didn't just read it in a book. Somebody just didn't tell me about him, but I had personal experience with him. We experienced him close up. He says, we are credible witnesses to the life, the teaching, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, I want you to have that accurate view of Jesus too. Uh, Eugene Peterson writes this, if we want to deal with God the right way, we have to learn to love the right way. If we want to learn to love the right way, we have to deal with God the right way. God and love can't be separated. In Jesus, God and love are linked accurately, intricately, and indissolubly. I knew I wasn't going to have trouble with this word. Indissolubly. <laughs> Never mind. So today, in that time, I think the struggle was that, you know, how could God come in the flesh? So we're going to, you know, God came somehow. Uh, Jesus was just sort of a spiritual thing. He didn't really die physically on the cross. It was just kind of a spiritual experience. And so they would deny the, the incarnation of Christ. Most people in our time don't deny that Christ actually lived, uh, that there was a person named Jesus Christ. He actually lived. Most people don't deny that. There's <clears throat> much uh, historical evidence to that fact. But many people will say that that's all there is to it. So Christ uh, was a real person. He lived at a real time in history. But he was no more than a good man, a good teacher, a moral example. If you want to, you can follow his teaching. If you don't, that's okay. But there was nothing more than that. So John says there is much more. The one who is from the beginning, the eternal one, same kinds of words that he wrote in the Gospel of John, the one who is life itself, in fact, eternal life, salvation. This Jesus was revealed to us, and we want to proclaim him to you. He's saying if you get this wrong, you can't have fellowship with him, and you can't have fellowship with us. There's nothing that we hold in common in terms of those kinds of things. So even though you haven't had that experience, he would say, I think, of touching him, of actually seeing him with our physical eyes, you can still experience and know Christ, God through Christ. And that's what we want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. I don't want a secondhand faith. I don't want to go around telling stories about Jesus like, you know, uh, John, the Apostle Paul knew Jesus. He saw him. I don't know anything about him, but John says he was 
you know, the Son of God, the Eternal One. And so I guess that's good enough for me. I want to have a first-hand experience with Him. When uh, I was 12 uh, years old, uh, in the church tradition that I, we went to as a family, there was something called confirmation. So at about that age, uh, kids that had grown up in the church would be confirmed in front of the church. So you would go through classes and you would say, you would recite some things and you'd say, I'm a believer in Christ, I want to follow, I'm part of the, the church of Christ. And uh, so that was very important. It was something that in our family all my parents had done. Uh, I was, I, I'm the youngest. All my other siblings had done that when they were around 12, and so it was kind of expected that when I was 12 that I would do the same. And uh, so I believed in God, but at that, being the stubborn kid that I was, I said to, to my mom and dad, I, I don't want to do it. I, and I know it's important to you. I don't know if I said that, because I maybe probably wasn't that sensitive about it. But I said, this, I'm not ready for this. I'm not sure if I believe. I'm not sure if I want to commit myself to this. And so when I'm ready, I'll do it. And uh, so it took me a number of years before I was ready to make a personal commitment to Christ. But I didn't want to go on my parents, on the backs of my parents' experience of him, their church commitment. And so stubbornly I held my ground and I wasn't confirmed in the church. And it wasn't until I was 20 at university that I really had an encounter with Christ and committed my life to him. But I didn't want that secondhand experience of God. I wanted to have a real experience with him. And that makes a huge difference. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And that experience of being a child of God, being included in the family of God, having fellowship with Him through Christ is very foundational to everything else. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about the book of 1 John. He says, The main theme of this book is fellowship with God. This is the whole object, the ultimate, the goal of all Christian experience and endeavor. The central message of the Christian gospel and faith is that we can have fellowship with God. So that's the first thing. I want to have a real experience of fellowship with God. The second is that I want to have a real experience of fellowship with others. And these two things go hand in hand. So 1 John chapter 1, 3-4, we proclaim to you, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So true, real, genuine fellowship can't be manufactured. It can't be manipulative, manipulated. It can't be coerced. It's a gift from God, and it's, it's intimately linked with our knowledge of him. And it's founded in that real experience of fellowship with God through Christ by His Spirit. And so right in those two little verses, we see both the, the vertical dimension of that, our experience with God, and the horizontal, our, our fellowship with one another, with all believers in Christ. And it's meant to be shared, John says. You know, I have this experience, this relationship with God uh, in Christ, and I want to proclaim it to you. I want to share it with you because I want to have something in common with you, some fellowship with you. I can't help it. Sometimes when our, our faith feels weak or our fellowship with God is weak, it's hard for us to share that with other people. We don't feel like we have much to share. And the quality of our fellowship together, you and I, 
uh, very much depends on the quality of, of the fellowship that we have with God through Christ. And John says that there, you can't live that inconsistent lifestyle. You can't live in, in two kingdoms. You can't live in the darkness and at the same time try to live in the light. Uh, he says, I can't claim to have fellowship with the Father and yet hate my brother or sister. Those two things don't go together. First John chapter 2, 9, and says, If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a, a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. There's a, a really clear picture in the, in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, last part of that chapter, that gives us a snapshot of what this could and has looked like. And it talks about all the believers who, were devoted, who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing the meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And there was this deep sense of awe. It came over them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything. That's that word again, that having things in common, sharing things with each other. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. It's an amazing, amazing picture of what fellowship through Christ can be amongst a group of people. And it's not, but it's not easy. And we can't manufacture, but it's not, it's not easy because sometimes you know, all those things in us fight against that. Uh, reading the other day where someone said, people want to be connected you know, there's, a, there's a, so much in our culture is we're trying hard to be connected. Whether that's online or in person, we want to be connected with other people. It's hard to be disconnected. But we don't want to be encumbered. We don't want it to be inconvenient. And it is inconvenient to be connected with people, to fellowship with one another sometimes. And I think sometimes the other side of the coin is that sometimes even when we are connected, and we're seeing God work in our fellowship, we're not always satisfied with that. There's a great book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called uh, Life Together, which talks about the life of the church, this fellowship that we desire. And he says we're always looking for something better in community. We always feel like uh, what we have is inadequate, that the people around us maybe are so spiritually immature. And we're always you know, longing for something better, something more beautiful, this idealized sense of community. And so we sometimes miss seeing the grace and the work of the Holy Spirit amongst the people that are right around us. So we need to open our eyes to that. So that's the second one. We want a real experience of fellowship with one another. The third is this. We want a life that is real, that's consistent, that's sincere. We want to move as, the, as God by His Spirit uh, works in us, we want to move from hypocrisy, that trying to be two things simultaneously, to truthfulness. So First uh, John 1, 5-7. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. And so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, the Son, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
So one of the tests of those who are living in fellowship with God and fellowship with each other is that they are living in the light as God is in the light. They're growing in a sense of purity, in a sense of commitment to the truth, in obedience to what God says, in love uh, for each other. They're growing in their ability to discern. So one of the things that, we, that happens in our lives as we walk with God, as we walk in the light, is we're able to discern truth from error. It's one of the things that the people that uh, John is writing to needed to grow in. Uh, they were very easily caught up in lies. They were, and as we grow, we become capable of detecting the lies, the untruths or the half-truths. And sometimes those lies are the ones that we tell ourselves. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, sometimes we're either deceived by others or by the enemy or even by ourselves. And so we need to grow in discernment. And uh, some of the lies that these people were believing is that, you know, my behavior, my, my sin doesn't matter. You know, I can just do whatever I want, and because I'm a Christian, it doesn't really matter. Um, that God doesn't really care, it's, and, or that it's not possible. I'm a Christian. It's not possible for me to sin. I had someone say right in this room to me a number of years ago that uh, as Christians, we don't need to confess our sin. Uh, that uh, as Christians, we did that a long time ago. We're done with that. Uh, we don't need to confess. Uh, I don't think that's according to the truth. We need to maintain that relationship with God, that fellowship with Him. Otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that all of us do fall away. We drift away from God from time to time. So we want to be truthful with each other, and we want to be truthful with ourselves. I, I don't think it's written down uh, you know, in our vision or mission statement but I think one of the things that we value as a church uh, here at Lakeside is that we want to be a people who are real, who are genuine, who are authentic, to use a you know, popular word these days. Uh, we don't want to play act. We, we don't want to be one per person in this setting and another person in another setting. Uh, we don't want to stand in front of our friends in our church and pretend uh, that everything is fine, there's no problems when... Things are far from fine. We want to be genuine. We desire to be real. We want to be honest with ourselves. We want to be honest with each other. I don't know if we always achieve that, but I think it's a value that uh, we want to have as a church. We don't want to deceive ourselves. We don't want to live in denial. And we don't want to be people who claim we have no sin because we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So that prayer that we uh, talked about a few weeks ago, search me, O oh God. One of the things that he needs to do is just uncover some things and uh, show me my heart and then uh, bind me up and set me free. And so one of the things that often happens that I've observed over the years is uh, when people drift away from the church, uh, sometimes it's all of a sudden, other times most often it's kind of gradual, uh, it's usually not, once in a while, it's for doctrinal reason, reasons sometimes. You know, I disagree with your theology on this or that, right? Very, very seldom. Uh, you know, oftentimes it's just, you know, they in their own fellowship with God have gradually let other things creep in, uh, take their attention off Him. They've, they've drifted in their relationship with God. They've, they've uh, allowed sin to kind of get a hold of them again. And then rather than being in the place where others can, can encourage and exhort and challenge and correct and pray for them, they distance themselves from the church. It's really common. They drift away. Bonhoeffer again says, Sin demands to have a man by himself 
it withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. And I think that's, that really does happen. By the way, with the, we should use uh, feminine pronouns there too. It's not just men that isolate themselves and get caught up in sin. Uh, but it is very common. We, we, we know we, we're not in the right place. We know our, our life is not the way it should be. And so we isolate ourselves, which is the worst thing for us to do. And so we need that fellowship with one another. Because if we don't, we can very easily forget the good news of the gospel, which is right here in this passage. If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. So we dare not walk away from that fellowship with God or with each other. And the result of that is that uh, God, through that fellowship with him and with each other, gives us a joy that really is real. A joy that is real, that's the fourth point. And so John says here, one of the reasons, there's a number of reasons why he wrote this little book, but one of them is that you would fully share our joy. He says, I have, I have this relationship with God. It brings me joy and peace. I know His forgiveness. I know fellowship with God through Christ. I know the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I know that God is good. I trust in Him. I want you to share this experience with God. I want you to share in genuine Spirit-led fellowship with each other. I want you to know this joy. I want you to know what it feels like to walk in the light where God is in the light. So today, one of the clearest expressions of what we're talking about this morning is communion. In fact, you could, you could use that word fellowship and communion in some ways almost interchangeably. And communion has that, that aspect of both the, the relationship with God through Christ, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, His shed blood and His broken body, where we, through those things, through that act, we can have fellowship with Him. We can have our, our sins cleansed, we, our bodies are healed, we're, set, uh, we're made right with Him through Christ, through the cross, and through the resurrection. And so that, we have that, but it's not just that. We also have this fellowship with one another. Through what Christ has done, He brings us together, He puts us in families, He includes us in the body of Christ, and we are united together. We have a bond in common. It's that relationship with God. It's that experience of forgiveness and cleansing and renewal. It's the healing that He brings in our lives. It's the freedom that He gives us as we trust in Him. And so communion, every time we do it, reminds us of those things. It reminds us of our connection, our common bond, our fellowship with God. It reminds us of our common bond with each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read this, When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing? That's that same word, fellowship. Aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And we break when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? We're having fellowship in the body of Christ, something in common. And, through, and though we are many, we all eat from the one loaf, showing that we are one body. So communion means sharing, it means fellowship, it means participation, it means partnership. 
with God and with each other. And that's why when we read in 1 Corinthians 11, which most communion Sundays we do when we prepare for communion, uh, if you backed up in that passage, there's this uh, discussion of, of how they were coming together for the Lord's Supper, and yet there were problems in their church. There were problems in their relationship. There was people that were showing disrespect to others, especially those who were poor. And it was ruining that experience of fellowship with God through communion because their fellowship with each other was broken. It was strained. And so that's why Paul was so concerned about that that he was saying, you need to examine your hearts and think about not only your relationship with God, but think about your relationship with each other and other problems. Is there there forgiveness needed to be extended? Is there grace that you need to extend to each other? Do you need to go and ask for forgiveness? Is there something broken within the body of Christ? Is there something need mending? Uh, You need to bring that to him as you prepare. You need to go to that person possibly and talk to them and say, you know, have I done something to hurt you? Did I, you know, I said something that was wrong. I misunderstood you possibly. Uh, Let's make this right. So that's part of our preparation this morning. We are going to take some time uh, to pray together. Uh, Before we receive communion this morning, I'll give you you some instructions on how we're going to do that. We're going to pray together, uh, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to receive communion together.